called Formula One because there's a formula, a rule book for how the car can be uh, developed. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Nicholas DeMille. And I'm Ben Stevens. We're coming to you from Yas Island in Abu Dhabi for the penultimate race of the 2019 Formula One season. Today, we're down on the paddock to hear from the McLaren race team as well as some of the scientists working to give them a leg up on the competition. My name is Randeep Singh. I'm the head of race strategy at McLaren, uh, which means I'm responsible for optimizing our results over a race weekend primarily, but also over a longer term. So some of the decisions we make affect the whole season. We pick ties in advance of each race, for example. We work out how we want to use the power units. So my main responsibility is sort of uh, using our resources in the team to optimize um, those procedures and to make sure we get the maximum possible results. My name is Jürgen Kosel. I'm Associate Professor of Electrical Engineering in Karst. And in the context of this project, I'm working on new sensors for Formula One racing. I'm Mani Sarathi. I'm an Associate Professor for Chemical Engineering at Karst and also the Associate Director for the Clean Combustion Research Center. So I've been fortunate to, to work with McLaren Racing on improving uh, fuel performance and fuel design, and also understanding better how the performance of a combustion engine operating under the extreme conditions of a Formula One environment can be maximized. What is the, what is the big picture thing that you'd love to accomplish in the next couple of years by working with a university, whether it's uh, sensor development, whether it's uh, improving the aerodynamics of the car or the way that the car burns a fuel, what are those things that you'd love to do? Uh, the, the data analysis and being data driven is really important in F1 and it's something that uh, McLaren have really had at their core uh, since we've been around. So uh, as the car is going around the track, we have a team of 30 or 40 back at base. We have another team of 10 to 20 engineers at the track. We're limited to how many people we can have at the track. And, and also generally for Friday running, when you're doing things like testing new components, where you might be testing new settings, there'll be maybe 100, 200 people available in the office doing their normal day jobs. But we know that if, they, if we're doing a test on the gearbox, for example, the gearbox department will be ready, they'll be listening. And if there are any kind of issues, um, they'll be able to uh, dive onto the intercom and talk to us live and diagnose that. So being data driven is really important. And we also have a big focus on simulation. So, for example, strategy-wise, we pick the tyres for each race uh, three months in advance for flyaway races and two months in advance for European races. So that, what that really means is that for next year, the 2020 tyres haven't physically been made at this stage. We've got some prototypes, but they've not been made. But we'll pick the tyres for next year um, before Christmas for Australia and the first couple of races. Um, don't know what the weather is going to be like, so we'll simulate and estimate what the climate will do. Don't know what people's pace will be like, which is really important to knowing what you're doing strategically. Uh, we don't know what the um, conditions will be like, how the tyres will behave. So for all of these things, we have our own models. Um, we're literally running billions of simulations from three months uh, in advance of each race. 
And as we get closer to each race, um, obviously we adapt those simulations in real time effectively. So um, by the time we get to Vietnam, which is a brand new race that we're having to estimate how things will play out there, we'll have got information from Australia and Bahrain, and that, that information will have fed into all of our simulations. Um, we'll get to Vietnam on the Thursday, we'll do a track inspection, we'll try and update because the pit lane might not match exactly the drawings and then through every single lap of running on Friday we're getting updated tyre information, our simulations are updating for qualifying on Saturday morning like today we will do here in Abu Dhabi we'll discuss through our qualifying strategy whether we'll try and qualify on a harder tyre or not where we think we'll qualify, how many soft tyres we'll use um, what impact that may have on the race because you're trading between qualifying and the race and then on Sunday tomorrow we'll have a good idea before the race of what we'll do but very often you have to be really flexible in strategy and really open um, so during the race we'll be running 4,000 uh, machines in the cloud doing live simulations and they'll be helping us make those split second decisions because all the way from sort of three months in advance in the race uh, if there's a safety car you could have less than five seconds for both cars to decide what you're doing it depends on what's just happened because of the safety car and not only do you have five seconds to decide but in that five seconds you have to decide tell both race engineers to tell both sets of drivers and tell the pit crews that they're out and ready to do the right thing so yeah really from the tiny time scale of decisions at a couple of seconds up to months and years we call it formula one because there's a formula a rule book for how the car can be uh, developed and, and one part is the fuel. The fuel also has a, a formula, a rule book around it. So within that rule book, if you want to design, you either go to a refinery, get a bunch of chemicals and blend them together and test them. And that process tends to be expensive, time consuming, and it is traditionally how things were done. However, with the advent of uh, numerical models to predict how chemicals will behave in an engine using simulations, uh, some teams caught on to these capabilities that actually universities have been developing for about 10 years. Uh, they caught on and they started to work with the universities and apply these, uh, develop the knowledge and apply them to actually design the fuel. So around 2014 is what happened is actually some, some models that were uh, published in the open by KAUST uh, became available to teams. And those teams used these uh, models to predict the combustion of various types of fuel components and made the formula of their fuel deliver a few more horsepower than other teams had available. And that gave, uh, of course, a few horsepower from the engine is significant when we're talking about the pace of the vehicle. And, and for us at KAUST, it's, it's a never-ending uh, development from the fundamental standpoint because in 2021, the rule book changes again. So McLaren Racing is already thinking the fuel rule book changes two years from now uh, they're going to include more biofuel component to reach uh, sustainability targets. And in the year 2030, they're going to actually be uh, completely zero carbon, the fuels. Uh, and actually, the entire race has committed to being uh, carbon neutral. Uh, the, the good part is uh, we get rid of all the bureaucracy and we get the engineers to talk to each other. And uh, I mean, Jurgen and I can say that's what we like to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Calista has enabled us to do, to talk directly and McLaren has enabled us to do, to talk directly between the engineers. Uh, they get their experts in fuel and engines to come and talk to us uh, in fuels and engines. Uh, we get the PhD students to have a weekly or bi-weekly Skype calls together with uh, their engineers to really discuss the challenges and to learn how we can adapt our methods in, in fuel design to what their requirements are. So it's, it's a really, 
unlike many collaborations between industry and uh, university, which are top down, this one tends to be, we can say, grassroots. Yeah, we're really collaborating at the level of uh, the engineers and the scientists and the PhD students. And, and it's a contribution from both sides. So I would say uh, whatever we develop at KAUST, it goes to McLaren and then they take it, they test it on the vehicle, maybe in an engine that they have in collaboration with another partner. They send us the data that they obtain back to KAUST. And then like this, we keep iterating. And, and, and Jurgen can say more about the sensors because I think, and you talk about breakthroughs, I'd say their project has uh, even significant breakthroughs and maybe he can talk about how they achieved that. Data is produced in the amount of 100 gigabytes or so per weekend. At the beginning of all this data are sensors. So if these sensors are not good, the data is not good. And uh, the challenges are also many. There's the weight, that, that is of course obvious, but there's also the size. There are, there are actually sensing tasks for which there is no solution available right now because the, you know, the, the deformation might be too big or the conditions might be too harsh and you can just not buy anything available for that. And then, something that must not be forgotten, every sensor needs wires to operate for power and to read. So you put the sensor in a certain location means you also have to put wires to that location and that adds often much more weight than the actual sensor. So a massive challenge would be to make wireless sensors that can work in this environment. You save all these wires and not just you save the weight of the wires but you can also get access then to locations where you now cannot because you cannot get the wires there. So wireless sensors would be another one of these challenges. Um, the breakthroughs can actually be many because in Industry is working on one level and what you can buy is technology is using technology that is rather I would say old whereas in in, in at the universities we work with totally different technologies using totally different um, materials and uh, With that we are on a on a different level. Let's say a sensor you can buy now might weigh a few hundred grams and has a certain size maybe a few millimeter or so in in thickness if you make the same sensor in a flexible version, you probably save 100 times the weight, but not just the weight, also 100 times the thickness. So you can put the sensor in locations where you, you cannot get it there right now because the gap is too small or because you don't want to have this um, negative effect on the aerodynamics and so on and so forth. And um, coming back to all these different challenges, you know, wireless, flexible, uh, high performance, high accuracy, then in KAUST we are really very well equipped for that, not just in terms of facilities, but also in terms of um, the EE faculty. And during the last um, visit we had from the McLaren engineers, we started involving other professors who work in electric engineering on sensors. Professor Salama, he is an expert on electronics. He can, he can miniaturize electronics to a level and an extent that it is just taking much more space, whereas it can at the same time produce better performance. Professor Hussein, he makes wonderful thin sensors that um, cannot be competed by the industry with at all. There's just nothing out there. And then we have Professor Boone who uses the latest in photonics to make sensors with performances that merely do not exist right now. And then on my end we build transducers or sensor elements that can survive conditions which you cannot survive at this point. We can, we can provide and this is what we're working on right now with uh, McLaren. We can provide sensors that can 
deform in a way that no other sensors can deform right now. They, they can operate at temperatures that are much higher than any other sensor can currently survive at. And so on. So putting all this together, we hope to provide a wireless solution eventually for a lot of their problems, the problems they are already tackling, and even new problems they cannot yet really have a solution for. We have a five-year partnership and we're hoping it goes longer but we're one year into the partnership and, and I think indeed the initial gains will be made in, in application of fundamental knowledge in, in various areas relevant to, to McLaren's Formula One racing team. But I think what, what we got to also consider in the longer term is, is the development of talent and that takes time, yeah? developing talent, individuals with expertise of relevance to, to Formula One racing. And, and, Thankfully, we're starting our first interns going from Kaust to McLaren to spend uh, four to six months on projects of interest to McLaren Racing. Uh, this will be, again, one way of training our graduate students to work in a dynamic environment, to push the limits of, of their knowledge that they're gaining at a doctoral level to an application that's, that's very important and, and, and very challenging. And I think, if, if I say at the end of five years, if we have uh, individuals from Kaust that are working with McLaren Racing after they graduate, or if we're able to inspire more young Saudis uh, or young high school students around the world to get into the fields of science and engineering, knowing that they can have impact in, in studying applied mathematics and studying electrical engineering, chemical engineering, in, in something as grand as uh, Formula One racing. So you don't have to be a driver to be a hero in this sport. Yeah. As Manny says, the, the development of sort of young university talent is really key to us. We, um, I'm responsible for our graduate scheme as well. Um, we've actually just been going through uh, thousands of CVs over the last few weeks. Um, and we have, it's really incredibly difficult to get in. Um, 500 to 1 minimum ratio of uh, applicants per spot available. Um, we really value our graduates. They rotate through the business. They're our future leaders. They get exposed to all the areas of F1. And then, and then they get to choose in conjunction with us what job they would like to do. So we, we really have a focus on young talent. Uh, and bearing that in mind that it's the application ratio is something like 500 to 1, if not higher, many times. Uh, we're really proud to have partnered with our a university with the caliber of Kaust and to be taking interns from Kaust in. Okay, so, so Kaust is a university built about 10 years ago uh, with the vision to make breakthroughs in science and technology for the benefit of Saudi Arabia but also for the benefit of, of humanity and in order to achieve that uh, we built uh, remarkable 
facilities for doing research, laboratories, uh, research centers, and brought experts from around the world, 100 different nations, uh, to really advocate and to propel science and engineering forward into the 21st century. And given our, our, our facilities, our expertise, and our capabilities, uh, we got remarkable progress in the last uh, 10 years at Cal in, in fundamental research. But the next step is to take this research and, and translate it to real impact in industry and society. And for that, we need to go outside the lab and we need to find real world problems. And it, it, it turns out that Formula One Racing and McLaren is a team that really has uh, this, this drive, this experience, and this passion for taking technology from a fundamental level, applying it in Formula One, and then eventually changing mobility, uh, even in, in the real world, in, in, uh, in regular road-going vehicles, uh, with all their parts of their business. So, so really, this partnership started, in that sense, is, is us being a science and engineering university, having expertise in, in various aspects of, of chemistry, physics, material science, applied mathematics and statistics, and taking this knowledge, these expertise, the, the, the skills and, and also new technology that we developed in the lab and then taking it to an environment of Formula One racing as an, an extreme environment, a challenging environment, a dynamic setting to really uh, test out technologies, test out different capabilities that we have. Yeah. Jurgen, do you want to pitch in about the sensors in particular? Yeah, so I think we are extremely lucky because in Kaust we have these opportunities to utilize the latest technologies in fabrication, for example. And um, we are also extremely lucky to work with McLaren. I mean, this census project is only a few months and um, it's incredible to see how McLaren is actually at the forefront of racing and the, all the work they do is performance driven. And this is a perfect fit for us because, you know, we want to, to build newest, best performing devices, especially sensors. And this is an amazing workaround for us. And we see a lot of openness from the McLaren side to actually implement our devices. We get a lot of good feedback and it's a, it is already at the beginning a very amazing collaboration to work with, um, with this team. And um, it's very motivating too. So what, what are the outcomes of some of these things? How does that translate to a car and, and making it faster? Yeah, so as uh, Jürgen and Manny say, things like sensors, uh, we're, at the op uh, we're operating at the cutting edge in pretty much all areas in Formula One. Um, so we're reliant on the newest and the best technology. That's where the partnership with Kaust really helps us. So in, in the field of sensors, for example, um, we're looking for the lightest sensors possible because everyone is trying to make their car the minimum possible weight. And it's always a discussion that goes on every single weekend for every single team about how can we remove weight from the car. So sensors need to be really light. They need to be really robust. If you can imagine the cars are going around at, um, in excess of 300 kph, 22 different weekends a year next year in conditions that are really hot, like here in Abu Dhabi, really dusty, like in Bahrain, really cold in some of the European events. And the sensors have to be robust to all of that, plus all of the, the vibrations and so on as well, and give us really reliable data. And we're not really asking for simple stuff either. Sometimes we're looking at things like tyre temperatures, which are notoriously hard to measure uh, when you can't connect to the tyre itself uh, physically. Um, and we're asking for some of these sensors to give us information back at really incredible rates. So some of the sensors will log at something like 10 kilohertz. So that's 10,000 times a second we're requesting data. And we have to get all that data that's going around the track at 300 kph off the car 
into our systems uh, at the track. Then that gets transmitted live back to the UK where we have our um, headquarters and our machine control room. And there'll be 30 to 40 people there live during any session that we're running here. So it can be in the middle of the night for them when whilst we're in Australia in the middle of the day. And those guys will be looking at the data at the same time in real time um, as will we at the track. And we'll be using all of that data to make our decisions. Um, and we're talking over 100 gigabytes of data um, per weekend from the sensors on the car. And there's over a terabyte more of data that comes from other sources as well. So it's really a really big, big data problem. Thank you so much for speaking with us. We'll, uh, we'll let you go because I know you're, you're busy this weekend. But best of luck to you and the team and uh, go get them. Thank you very much. Hope you guys enjoy watching. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes and Alex Arias. I'm Nicholas DeMille with co-host Ben Stevens. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.